This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. When I was a sophomore in college, uh, I went through this phase where I started getting really cocky. And uh, this is kind of an, an embarrassing story, but I'm just going to put it all out there. So I was walking to class one day, feeling like kind of a big man on campus, and, and I saw my reflection in, uh, in big glass-plated windows. And I stared at myself a little bit too long, thinking like, Jake, you look pretty good today. And then it stopped me in my tracks, and I thought to myself, Jake, you've become a tool. What, what happened to you? Uh, <laughs> and that was the first of many times it had been kind of stewing in me for a few days or weeks that I was just like spending too much time in front of the mirror and thinking too highly of myself, starting to get a big head, whatever. And so uh, after thinking about it for a while, I just prayed. And I remember this conversation that I had with God. And I said, God, I don't know what's happening to me. <clears throat> I'm vain. I just this vanity is, is weird and it's not me and I don't want anything to do with it. Um, and so I said, whatever you, you know, however you want to take care of this, please do so. And, and I said, it's kind, it's kind of a scary statement to say. And, you know, say, God, do whatever you need to to get rid of my vanity. I'm thinking I'm going to get in some, like, car crash, crash with a mangled face and lose both my arms or something like that, you know. Uh, but whatever you do, I trust you, God. Take care of this. That very night, I swear on my life, that very night, I'm, uh, I'm buzzing my head. I used to have a, a buzz cut, right? And I, so I would do it myself in my bathroom. And uh, in the middle of doing my sideburns, my roommate yelled out my name, Jake, will you come help? So I went and helped him with something, went back into the bathroom, forgetting that I had taken off the guard on the, the clippers uh, to do my sideburns. And so I did one swift swipe over the top of my head and I shaved off like a three inch strip of my hair, just completely bald. Uh, this massive strip of hair. And I could wear a hat, you know, most places, but at my work, I was a waiter at a place called Dozy Place and we weren't allowed to wear hats. And I saw every customer's like, what'd you do to your hair, man? Like, like I'm some idiot. Um, I didn't even register until a day or two after the incident that that happened on the exact same day uh, that I prayed for God to deal with my vanity. And, uh, you know, some chalk it up to like, well, you subconsciously did it on purpose. That's bogus, man. Like I did not, no part of me wanted to have a three inch chunk of my head shaved, shaved bald. Uh, the point of that story is to say to you that God does answer prayer. Uh, sometimes more humorously than others, sometimes more immediately than others, God does answer prayer. And yet at the same time, it's not quite that simple, is it? Prayer is a very complicated issue. God doesn't always seem to answer. He doesn't always seem to come through the way that we would expect him to or at all. And, but we're not the only ones that feel this way. Uh, Jesus' disciples, they asked him, they said, Jesus, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples how to pray. And so in Luke chapter 11, we're going to open up to verse 5. And the preceding verses to this are the Lord's Prayer. After they asked him for instruction, he said, uh, pray like this, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So on and so forth, right? That's what we know as the Lord's Prayer. But then after that, he has another level of instruction. And we're going to read that today. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, 
he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Now, impudence means shamelessness. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now there's two things when we read uh, these words of Jesus that we typically think, all right? Well, what stands out to us, first of all, usually is ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. Those stand out in our minds, right? And one pendulum swing in, in, in the far direction is a group of people who say uh, they have the most basic concept of prayer and they say if you just have enough faith, if you can just muster up enough belief in what you're asking for, then it'll happen. As if God is some on-demand magician who's ready you know, at our beck and call to answer anything that we ask of him, right? Now that's kind of a turnoff for a lot of people, including myself, because we know deep in our hearts that God does not answer all of our prayers no matter what, right? It's not that simple. And so what a lot of other people do is they swing that pendulum the other direction and they put an asterisk next to that verse in their Bible. And they say, yeah, but Jesus couldn't have really meant what he said. He was just exaggerating. God doesn't really answer all prayers. If we ask, we won't always receive, so on and so forth. Now I'm here to tell you today that neither of those answers are correct. We've got to bring the pendulum back to the middle and we've got to dig deeper. So let's dig deeper into this text today and see what Jesus is really saying so we don't have to make excuses for Jesus. So we don't have to defend Jesus, but we can believe that his words here are true. I believe that this passage has four keys to successful prayer, to effective prayer that Jesus gives us. Now those four things are shamelessness, competence, relentlessness, and praying for the right things. I'll say it again, shamelessness, confidence, relentlessness, and praying for the right things. Now we're going to break those down. The first is shamelessness. In verses 5 through 8, Jesus gives us a story. He says, who among you would go to your friend's house in the middle of the night and ask for a loaf of bread? Who among you is the beginning of a rhetorical question. In the Greek language, anytime a sentence starts with who among you, the answer, the implied answer to that is nobody. Nobody would do this, all right? Why wouldn't we do this? Why wouldn't we go to our friend's house? Because, because it's shameful behavior. Because it's obtrusive. Because it's uh, imposition, you'd be uh, imposing on him. It'd be disrespectful of the person. All of these reasons. What would they think of us? What would our reputation become? Etc. Etc. That's why you wouldn't. But Jesus says, I tell you, if you were to go to him, uh, he wouldn't give you the bread because he was your friend, but because of your shamelessness. Now, shamelessness. I think that the the character of shamelessness uh, is when we no longer care about what people think of us. We no longer think about people's opinions, all right? Why? The one thing that will, will drive anybody to shameless behavior to a shameless attitude is desperation. When we have no other options, 
rock bottom, the end of your rope. You no longer have the luxury of thinking, well, what is this person going to think about me? It's absolute need. We can't manage our image anymore, but we, we just say, I need this. I need your help, man. You know, this is, this is your friend that calls you at three o'clock in the morning and says, I'm, about, I'm thinking about committing suicide, man. Uh, help me. This is when you're around someone you don't know that well and you just can't hold in the tears anymore like you've been trying to do so they don't know that you're that sensitive or whatever, and you just let it go. These are those moments where you have no more options, but out of a deep need within your soul, you let go. You address the need. Desperation. Desperate people are shameless. And this is the place where God wants us to be every time that we pray. Desperation. Tim Keller says in his book, Counterfeit Gods. If you want God's grace, all you need is need. All you need is nothing. But nothing is pretty hard to muster up, isn't it? You see, in our world, we, we think that we've got it. We tend to be pretty complacent, especially in the American culture. You think of the materialism in our culture that fills those holes in our lives. All of the stuff that we have, even those of us that live in poverty, still have stuff. The individualism of our culture. You know, you could be a professional skier, surfer, uh, golfer, I don't know, entrepreneur, all in in one life. The options of things that you can do and the places you can go and the people you can see, just, it's this constant, what am I going to do next? What am I going to fill that next hole with? Is it romance or is it a career or money or kids or you name it? What is going to fill these holes in my life? Options. Options. But the reality is that none of those things fill that hole. None of them. And so if we think we're okay, we're fooling ourselves. We're not. The reality is that we should all be desperate. Desperate beyond belief. God, I need you. And this goes for spiritual, spiritual things too, not just material things. The more we mature in our faith, we don't, we don't start to need God less. We don't start to become less and less desperate. The reality is that the holiest people in the entire world are the most desperate people in the whole world. They're the people that realize I am nothing without God. And they approach him in this just shameless behavior and say, God, I need you. Now to us, we look at those people and we say, They've got it together. They're the most calm and the most peaceful and the strongest people in the world. But that's because in their weakness that they've identified, God has filled that hole and given them strength. A place of desperation is where we have to meet God. We must come to him shamelessly. People, ask, people say things like, uh, you know, 
Am I saying the right things? Am I praying the right way? You know, worried about what is God going to think of me if I pray it the wrong way? And we were told growing up to take off your hat, close your eyes, bow your head, be reverent in front of God, respect him, you know? Though God deserves all the respect in the world, but I'm telling you, right now, that's not shameless behavior. God doesn't care if you're wearing a hat when you pray. God doesn't care if your eyes are open or closed, if your head is bowed. There are times where the Holy Spirit might move you to get flat on your face before your God, where you cannot bear to stand in his presence without kneeling before the Lord, right? There are times the Holy Spirit moves you there. But there are times where naked and unashamed, we stand before the Lord, look him in the eyes and say, God, I need you. Fill my life. That solves that problem. In our world, we, we tend to say it's selfish for me to ask for things from God. How many of us struggle with, with going to, to God for prayer or even others for prayer and asking for things for ourselves? <laughs> I, don't, I shouldn't need that. I've, look at all this stuff we've got. 75% of the world lives on $2 or less a day. Why should I need anything? My wife... Kayla confessed, um, she said I could share this too, is that she's been struggling with um, our, our baby Mika, she's three and a half months old, and, and this whole idea of SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome. Some of you moms might get real anxious about this stuff too. And she's like, it's just been, it's made her really anxious inside. And so she Googles SIDS and tries to figure out all these things about it. And what can I do to prevent my child from dying randomly? The answer is really not much, but... She struggled this for weeks until, uh, and, and the reason she didn't go to God for prayer, she said, is because she felt like, uh, like she was, should have been past that. Her spiritual maturity, she felt, was, was at a level where she shouldn't have to ask God for something so simple. And it was when finally, after a week or two of struggling with this, she came home after work one day, and uh, she just said, God, I need you. And she cried her eyes out. <laughs> And she, for the first time over this subject matter, had peace in her soul. Materially or spiritually speaking, um, it is never selfish to go to God or others in prayer asking for your needs to be met. And all of us desperately need God. Now, the second thing is confidence. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and you, it will be open, right? Do we really believe this? Is this really true? And why is confidence so important? We read in James chapter 1. Right, he talks about prayer. and he, Here he's talking about praying for wisdom, but generally just good gifts from God. And he says, pray with faith and our God is generous. He will give you everything you need and more. But to the one who doubts, he shall not expect to receive anything from God. That person is like a wave tossed to and fro by the wind. Wave of the sea tossed to and fro. That person is double-minded and unstable in all his ways. The person who doubts when he prays. 
You see, the reason that confidence is so important, that faith is so important when we pray, is that it points towards our loyalty to God. It's a sign of our loyalty. Now, what, what I mean by this is that if we pray and we lose confidence, what we naturally do, whether you know it or not, is you begin to seek other means of filling that hole, of meeting that need, of fulfilling that prayer. When you lose your confidence in God, naturally you go to some other thing or coping mechanism or whatever to answer that prayer for you. It's only in complete confidence that we can truly rely on God. Additionally, God wants some credit. He wants to be praised and he deserves some credit when his prayers are answered. How likely are we to give him that credit if we doubted him the whole time? But if we were confident that it was him, he's more likely to be generous because we've been loyal. Now, this plays into the next, the third thing, which is we must pray relentlessly. Ask until you receive. Seek until you find. Knock until the door is open. If we are confident that God is going to fulfill our prayers, he's going to answer our prayers, then let's relentlessly pursue it until we get it. Ask, seek, knock. They're somewhat synonymous with one another, but do you realize that each one of them is more and more intense? When I think of asking for prayer, uh, I picture the Sistine Chapel, Michelangelo, you know, he painted, uh, and there's that, there's that picture, I wish we had it, um, of Adam kind of reclining and reaching his finger out, and then you've got God who's stretching out with all of his might, and they're just about to touch one another, and they, they can't quite get it. But the picture here is man is human. I just, he's just reclining and very lackadaisically reaching out his hand. And God is reaching out with all his might to touch him. And they just can't quite get there. If Adam would just get off of his butt and reach, seek, knock, be persistent, be relentless, Play a part, participate in fulfilling the thing that God wants to give you. We can't just ask. We've got to be willing to go for it. Y'all might remember the, uh, the story of Elijah where for three and a half years it didn't rain on the whole earth, right? And he says, but when I pray, the, storm, the rains will come. And so Elijah prayed and he sent his servant to go out to the sea and, and look out to the horizon and, and, and let me know when the clouds are coming. And so he goes and he looks and he comes back and says, I didn't see anything. And Elijah sends him out again. And again he comes back and says, I didn't see anything. Seven times he sent his servant out. And on the seventh time, finally, he says, I saw a cloud like the hand of a man coming up over the horizon. And Elijah says, all right, pack up your stuff, go. Let's get out of here. Storms are coming. The point is that seven times... He had to go look and wait. If you don't ask, if you don't seek, if you don't knock, you'll never receive the gifts of God. You'll never fill that hole in your life. 
Another reason I think that relentlessness is so important is because, not just to God, but to you, uh, it's a sign of how much you really want something. There's one thing in particular that comes to mind with Kayla and myself in our marriage that we've been praying for for a long time now. And it's not quite come to fruition, but I'm always convicted when weeks have gone by and I'm complaining about the issue um, to myself or we're talking about it and we're, <laughs> God hasn't answered this prayer yet. And yeah, but we haven't prayed about it for two weeks. How important is this really to us, you know? So it's a, it's a heart check to me. Do you really want this to happen? How much are you really trying to make this work? <laughs> How badly do you really want it? How badly do you really need it? The fourth thing is ask for the right things. This is crucial. Verse 11, Jesus starts a sentence by saying, what father among you? Another rhetorical question here. What father among you? The answer is none. There aren't any, okay? What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? There aren't any, and this is obvious to us. It doesn't strike us very deeply. Like, of course, God is good, and of course, he's not going to give us anything that harms us. But here's the thing. How often do you think that we ask for scorpions? How often do you think it is that we're actually asking for serpents, thinking that we're asking for an egg or a fish? God will only give us that which is good for us that which is best for us. And so often I think we get uh, deceived into thinking that this is what we need. And so we pray and we pray and we pray for this thing to come true, to come to fruition. And God's just saying, that's, that, that's gonna hurt you. Don't you get it? I won't allow that to happen. For me, uh, it's confession time. This is ministry, all right? I've only been here at Schweitzer full-time now for six, seven months, I don't know. And uh, already, it's like my biggest fear is a failure, is being a failure in ministry. It's people looking and saying like, oh yeah, Jake wasn't all, you know, he was cut out to be and whatever. Um, and so I pray to God all the time uh, that this ministry is successful, particularly young adults ministry in Schweitzer and whatever. Um, and not just for my sake, for everyone say everything and but I sense God telling me every time I pray this is again it's a heart check he's saying Jake you're not quite ready for a certain level of success because you know what would happen is go straight to your head it would destroy you you're not humble enough yet to receive my good gifts you're not humble enough yet to preach a sermon that just blows minds and hearts away and where hundreds and thousands come to Christ. You're not humble enough yet to see that happen. It would destroy you and I'm not willing to let that happen. And I'm okay with that. What I'm not okay with is the fact that I'm prideful. Is the fact that I make it about me and so my prayer becomes not Lord, you know, beef up my ministry. It becomes Lord, make me humble so that what I do can be fruitful for the benefit of us, for the benefit of others. That becomes my prayer. And you begin to see how praying for the right things 
is kind of a, it's a complex issue, and it takes wisdom. It takes a real deep understanding of what it is that might hurt us or help us. Ultimately, what it involves is discerning the will of God. My favorite, uh, one of my favorite scriptures is Romans 12, and it says, uh, don't be conformed to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by uh, testing, you may discern what is the will of God. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. The reason I love this scripture is because God just says, test it. Try things out. Be willing to fail. I'll let you fail, and then you'll learn. That's good. Over time, learn to discern what is my will. Are your prayers being answered? Are the things you're seeking to accomplish being accomplished? (laughs) So on and so forth. And if not, then change gears and figure it out. Because when you pray, my will, it will happen. Period. Now, above all things, in this topic of praying for the right things, there is one thing that will always be the right thing that will always be good. And I'm going to tell you it this morning. It's the Holy Spirit. Asking God to give you the Holy Spirit, not just once, not just twice, but every day of your life is a prayer that will never fail. A prayer that will always be answered. As long as you're shameless and confident and relentless. When we pray, we don't just ask for the gifts of God. We ask for the presence of God in our lives. That is the Holy Spirit. We don't ask for the gifts, we ask for the giver, the source of all blessings. And God is so willing And so eager to fill that hole with himself. And it's through faith in Jesus Christ, who died on a cross for us. It's through the receiving of forgiveness of our sins that we can stand before God without shame and receive him. Receive that gift. And he's all that we need, every single one of us. He is all that we need. This morning, uh, what I want us to do is a very simple practice. And you might carry this home with you too. But sitting where you are, I want you to open your hands and put your palms up on your legs. Some of you probably think this is kind of weird. That's fine. It's a really good practice. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to empty yourself. Do everything you can with every faculty of your being to just surrender and just to empty yourself and be willing and ready to receive whatever it is that you truly need. We're going to sit here in silence for 20 to 30 seconds and then I'll close us out in prayer. Try to identify what it is that you need this morning.
Lord, uh, we, we sit before you, we stand before you empty. Um, we have holes in our lives um, that only you can fill. It's the truth. And God, we need you. We pray this morning with all of our might and all of our confidence that you fill that hole, Lord. Send down your Holy Spirit. Rain down your Holy Spirit into our souls, into this community, and rebuild your kingdom here. We ask this in all confidence and that all the glory may be yours. It's in Jesus' name, amen.